We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Our own Gabriel Jesus He's gonna hit the back of the net He's not Lacazette Do-do-do-do Our own Gabriel Jesus Somebody who knows his role is to score the goals. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. That's not really in my register, but you know what? It wasn't a good uh, rendition anyway. Did the best I could. Here's the deal. This has been such a wacky, wacky week. And as a wacky week, I had a podcast plan. You know what they say. We make plans and uh, Gabriel Jesus laughs because he's, Jesus, right? Anyway, uh, Gabriel Jesus, I know. Uh, so here's the deal. I recorded an interview with Clive that we were going to just have ready to go. Boom, breaking news. Arsenal announced the signing of Gabriel Jesus. And there we are with a podcast literally moments later. But the moment hasn't come. And now I find myself thinking, well, we got to put a podcast out. So I'm going to talk to Scott for a bit about the Rafinha situation. Then we're going to hear from me and Clive talking about Gabriel Jesus and a 360-degree, nearly hour-long conversation about what he brings to Arsenal, which we've, let's face it, already talked about quite a bit. You're also going to hear from a man who uh, is engaged in a really worthy cause. Gunners versus Cancer um, is is a cause near and dear to all our hearts and an award-winning charity now as well. I think it's worth pointing out. So Mike Feinberg from uh, the Gunners versus Cancer pod not Pod, Gunners versus Cancer Charity, the Gunners Pod uh, is on to talk a little bit about that. Two really exciting events, and today is your last day to sign up for one of them at GunnersVCancer.com. A signed shirt from everybody involved in scoring the winning goal against Liverpool at Anfield in 89. So without further ado, Scott's here. He's on Twitter, O underscore that underscore underscore crab. Hello, Scott. Yeehaw! How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I mean, I I think of Gunners versus podcasters, I I don't know. I don't think that we would stand a chance. I mean, I, I just... 
No, we're versus cancer. Everybody versus, will yeah. band together to defeat cancer. Banding right, together yeah, to there, defeat podcasters, a, that's almost too easy to even bother doing. Yeah, we got the the, the big full 24-hour live stream thing coming up, right? Yeah. Yep, that's right. And uh, and he's got the shirt to give away, and there's going to be um, a FIFA game on Xbox and PlayStation. So lots of good stuff there, and you'll hear about that in a bit. So, Scott, um, before... Clive and I do the whole 360-degree uh, tour of Gabriel Jesus, Arsenal's newest signing that we just need to get announced. And hopefully by the time you're listening to this, it has been announced. And then it looks like, wow, those Arsenal Vision guys, they're right on top of it. But we'll see. Uh, let's talk Rafinha. I think I, I watched him on the scouting video. I thought he looked great. I'd gotten myself excited about him. I'd gotten myself into a bit of hot water saying that I still felt that left eight was more of a priority in terms of what could immediately improve the way we play than another forward. People didn't like that take. Fair enough. But now maybe they will warm to it in the absence of a Rafinha coming in. It does look like he may be going to Chelsea or Barcelona. There are still twists in the tail literally happening as we speak. So let me just start with this. Firstly, just to get it on record, do you are you prepared to say we are not going to get Rafinha at this point? I don't know if I'm prepared to say that. I, I, it really feels like Leeds is doing everything they can to bring in every possible bidder to squeeze out every last pound, right? It really does feel like Rightfully that. Rightfully so. Right, right. Yeah, so. no, I mean, that's mm-hmm. what you should be doing if you're selling a guy that is in high demand, right? And like, there's three teams that, well, I don't know if Barcelona actually has any money, but there's at least <laughs> two teams that actually have money that are bidding against him, right? And that really want him. So that's what you should be doing when you're selling players. And that's how you get the, the best deal um, when you're trying to sell people effectively. So no, I, I mean, I, I don't blame them for doing that. And I think this might take a little bit longer. I don't think this is something that might resolve in the next couple of days because it feels like everybody's been kind of close. And so it is just a matter of, well, this is their final offer. Now I'm going to go and kind of say to you, this is their final offer. Can you beat it? And like, yeah. I don't know, it feels like there's going to be at least another week of haggling. So that'll pretty much guarantee that it's going to be done tomorrow, right? I just feel like the player wants Barcelona. And if yeah, you can't get yeah, Barcelona... I doubt he has any particular reason to care about Arsenal versus Chelsea. And so whichever gives Leeds the bigger transfer fee and gives the player the bigger wage probably satisfies both parties to get that deal done. Now, the only thing I will say is I wonder who can make the stronger argument for the role the guy will have because Chelsea can say, we want you at wing back. I don't think he's going to go for that. But they can rightfully say, hey, we're going to move on a lot of our forwards and you're going to have chances to play all across the forward line. But there are players theoretically standing in his way or competing with him at Arsenal. I mean, the same is true, right? Bukayo Saka is, in my view, as good or better right now. And regardless of whether you agree with that, the player that we have to invest in, it has to start. Now, again, I realize there are other minutes to go around, but I don't think Rafinha is saying, where can I be a rotational option? So maybe he becomes the guy who plays on the left and Martinelli and Smithrow have to battle for their they're playing time elsewhere. Who do you think can make the stronger argument for Rafinha fitting their project, setting aside the economics of it? I don't know. To me, I don't know. Maybe it's because my rose-colored glasses, but I think Arsenal is, right? I mean, I don't know. I look at what Chelsea has, and, you know, you think about in the 4-3, or sorry, 3-4-3, I think that, you know, Sterling is probably the guy, if they're going to, it sounds like they're going to get him, Mm -hmm. that probably fits into that front line. And then, he can play left to right. They still have Ziyech. They still have Pulisic. They still have uh, Mount. Yeah, Havertz. Yeah, so I mean, I show. There's still a lot of guys up there trying to compete for, and at least, you know, at Arsenal, on the right, 
it is just him and Saka. And I totally agree that uh, I think Saka is better. Um, in my rating system, Saka comes out ahead of him. Um, I will give the obvious caveat that we're presuming Pepe goes, but he does exist, and so he should at least be mentioned. I, I think he still would be ahead of yep. Pepe. Oh, no, so I, I mean, he, just yeah, he exists. That's all. I'm just does. referencing that. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, no, I think that's... To me, so it's like if I'm looking at that situation, I think that there's more minutes at Arsenal if that's something that he's concerned about. Um, I think there's, you know, even if we're talking about uh, across the front line, being able to play from the left, I think that, you know, there's just more chances there to be able to do it. Yeah. You know, maybe, you know, you're not getting Champions League. Um, so maybe that's a, a key that's a differentiator. So maybe you're willing to take less minutes to be in the Champions League for a season. I don't know. I mean, I think Arsenal should be not far off of Chelsea next season. So I don't think that, yeah, it's it's really, to me... I, I, Probably if, if I was his agent, I'd be all right, money, and then maybe a couple of years at this club and you go to Chelsea or you go to Barcelona where you really want to end up at the end. And if that's where you really want to end up, then I I do think it boils down to not so much wanting to play in the Champions League, but more where can I really shine and really elevate myself to stardom such that the Madrids and the Barces of the world will find a way to get it done the next time I become available. I don't think at Arsenal we tend to be excited to sign what I'll call quote-unquote mercenary players in that respect. But, you know, I mean, Alexis might have fallen into that category in some ways, and and he was a hell of a lot of fun while we had him. So then let's get to the uh, the bigger question. Is this a £60 million player? Is this the guy... I mean, we would arguably be paying more for him than we did for Gabriel Jesus, who is our number one target, who has a better pedigree and a better resume of output anyway. Now you could say, yes, at a much better team totally fair, but Rafinha is right in the middle of his prime. So you're not buying this guy projecting he's going to improve as a player, just that he will have more output when he gets here. Because as I've said on numerous pods now, his best ever goal scoring season is seven non-penalty goals. So when you look at all the metrics, does he, and again, we did a scouting video. Guy looks incredibly talented. But when you look at all the metrics, does he look like a 60 million pound player to you? I mean, I think he looks like a, a 45 million pound player that has a bidding war kind of around him is yeah, kind of my, yeah, yeah. my general kind of take. To me, it's like, it, this might be like damning with faint praise, but he looks like a, a good but not elite player. And, you know, to a certain extent, that is almost the price of a good to very good but not elite player now, right? Like, for, especially for a Premier League team, everybody knows that that's the people that have money and that's where they're going to go to try to wring out every last cent from it, right? If he's being sold to, you know, Ligun, I mean, he's 25, 30 million. But, you know, at the Premier League, that's just kind of the price that you have to pay for very good but not elite because elite is now going to be at a hundred million plus, right? I think that is well, really I think Gabriel of- Jesus is pretty darn close to elite in my view. I think he is a tier above Rafinha. I agree, and- but I think a bit. I mean, yeah, the striker stuff. I think comes with everybody has question marks, and so that's I think um, I think that was one of the big things that really struck me when I've been studying forwards this year is outside of really Mbappe and Holland. It, everybody has some big question marks with them that I I think they're either kind of one dimensional or they have something that really kind of jumps out as a little bit of a, not necessarily a red flag, but maybe an orange flag where I'm like, "Eh, how could that work? Is it translating between leagues? Is it, you know, a particular area like, you know, finishing for for Jesus or is it being able to do some of the all around stuff like we've seen with some of the other kind of more target man type players that we've been linked to. So it's like every single player that Arsenal has been linked to as a forward has had weaknesses, right? It's it's there's no Goldilocks player out there that you're going to get for, you know, less than $150 million or, you know, being able to pay ridiculous wages. Right. Uh, so here's the thing though, right? I, and I know this sounds so obvious, but then 
don't get into a bidding war for players that are good, not great. Yeah. Right? Like, like I guess what I'm saying is Rafinha is a very, very talented player. He would make us better, and I'd like to have him. And if we get him, I will be happy. But don't get into a bidding war over a player who is a maybe starter sometime, not necessarily all the time. And yeah, there are other positions we could address, but we really like his talent, so let's add him. Like, he feels like a 1B yeah. type player. So he's not like a backup, but he's a 1B, right? So he's a guy that is a solid rotation. You know, you're good. You're happy with him starting, but, you know, Thrilled he's not starting. Yeah, yeah, sure. But so he's a 1B. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, I don't, like, that's, a, I think, a good way to kind of classify him. He's not a number two. He's a 1B. Yeah, I, I guess, like, you know, is is he, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I if you say to me, we're going to let Chelsea go to 60 million on this one. And we're going to let the dominoes fall. And maybe a big player moves here, a big player moves there, and a big club now has a player who's surplus to requirements. And we find a guy that we think is really, really good with the lead upside who's not in a bidding war. You know, that to me looks appealing. Like I look at Tammy Abraham and the price he went for, and I look at guys like Darwin Nunez, right? And I'm not necessarily saying that Tammy Abraham's as good as Darwin Nunez. But you're talking literally double plus on that kind of price. And that's where, I mean, ironically, Liverpool have been pretty good at getting that right and not making those kinds of decisions. They bought a hell of a lot of talent that's been very, very productive for them in the 30 to 40 million pound range. But yeah, they've, they gone, just, they've gone into mm-hmm. that big spot a couple times, right? They've done it with, with Allison and then they did it with Van, Van Dyke. And that, that's mm-hmm. really kind of, I mean, I guess Diaz is kind of in that big spot, but I think he was kind of that tier below. But I think, yeah, so this is like the first time that I think they've really pushed the boat out on a big player that I don't think is a unanimous can't miss. Yeah, I, I certainly I certainly think that's fair. And so, you know, whether it's a Cody Gakpo or whether it's a, you know, maybe it's a, a Premier League player that that is a little bit under the radar right now. Um, maybe it's a Zaha who finally gets a move late in his career, but the at a knockdown price from where he had been, maybe it's because I mean I, I don't know, you know, I don't know if that no one's mentioned that. So I just pulled that out of my hat, <laughs> by the way. Like that's that's not a thing that's actually been discussed. But do do you think that there are dominoes that are going to fall in this window that may suddenly turn up some opportunity. I'm, I'll never forget the Mesodozo window right on the last day. And it sort of came out of nowhere. And it really was a byproduct of dominoes falling at Real Madrid that suddenly made him a player that could move. You can't plan around that because then you're not in control of your destiny. But do you think that that's, that that's something that still might be on the cards? I mean, we're, we're still relatively early in the transfer window. No, it's, it's incredibly early, right? So it's like, I think that there's going to be a, a flurry of activity as people try to get people in before they start the preseason, right? I think that's the first kind of um, kind of deadline of where we're trying to make things happen that, you know, kind of forces people to do stuff. So I think that's where we're seeing a lot of these moves try to get to. Um, you, know, you can see Arsenal, you know, I, really trying to push stuff done to get there, right? And I think that was, you know, kind of a, a cool difference than what we've done in the past but i think there's going to be another lull where we kind of when we wait till we get close to the end of the window right because it is going to probably take some some dominoes it might take some we're we're trying to kind of balance the books here and see how things go and maybe now that shakes people's free kind of a thing Uh, so yeah and i mean i don't think that and i think when we're talking about this level of talent i don't think that there's a necessarily he's a unicorn in that sense that he's uh, yeah. the only one that's like him um i went in today and you know kind of looked up players around him talent wise at least in my rating system and you know i, I found 
probably like five or six that I thought were at least somewhat reasonable to be considered, you know, comps and someone's that I would, you know, price wise is always kind of weird and interesting. But yeah, I think that there's definitely players out there that could fill the role that we're looking for here. Yeah. And I I just (laughs) like, I do see some reactions that are like, Oh yeah, here we go again, being cheap or, you know, we thought we're going to spend, but it was all a mirage. And it's like not being willing to go to the wall on a bidding war over, a player Chelsea wants, who also, by the way, doesn't want to be at ours, wants to be at Barcelona, doesn't mean that we've decided to close the checkbook. It may just mean we're smart. Yeah, right? I mean, I mean, it, may, it may just mean we have some some sense of where there's value, and this has reached escape velocity on what we regard as value. Yeah. Right, and I think I think we're already pushing the boat out on what is a, a value signing. This isn't like him at his release cause where he was $25 million if they got relegated, because that's a, a value play. That's a, you know, we're getting a steal. You know, I mean, I think if we're looking at like true value, it's a, a, a moving target. But I think in that $45, $50 million range or pound range is probably fair. And we're already talking about well past that. So it's to me, it's this isn't a, a case of Arsenal being cheap. It seems like we were already probably pushing past our comfort level to try to make something happen. So, I mean, I would not say that this is the club being cheap. I think it's just the, you know, you this is the type of deal that it's very easy to get buyer's remorse on, right? We did this with Pepe, right? Where we we splashed the cash and probably spent more than we needed to. And, you know, that, that puts pressure on the player. It makes it so you have questions as, you know, does that limiting other things that you can do? So, yeah, it's fun to have that, you know, the headline of, oh, we're, we're doing it. But it's like, you got to kind of think of what some of the downstream effects of this sometimes are. Yeah, of course. I mean, if we liked him at 40, and Chelsea are willing to go to 60, and we got to go to 65 or 70 to get him. That's a whole, you're that's a, that's a, that, or Yeah, that, that's almost Sandra Martinez, right? Like, <laughs> right, that's it's the, a Lissandra Martinez, right. I mean, would you rather have Tielemans and Martinez or just Rafinha? Right, I mean that—that's really what we're talking about here. And so, and again, so, we don't know. Maybe there, maybe there is unlimited money. Maybe Stan Kroenke is just sure, you know, sure. You know, just he, he's been you know drinking the extra large drinks out of the Stanley Cup, and he's just feeling good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's won two titles, and he's ready for his third. You know, this this calendar year. Well, we can't win it this calendar year unless they decide to just cancel the second half of the season because the World Cup thing. Um, we we do like a calendar year title, to be fair. So. Yeah, look, and and none of this is me saying he can't become a star. He doesn't have the talent to be a star. Like, the scouting video for me is one of those things where I have to recognize the limitations of what I can see on it, but I've watched him play for Leeds a lot. I watched the scout. We did the scouting video, and you come away seeing a guy that's got a lot of talent. But in terms of his output, it is still at least somewhat theoretical Mm -hmm. versus the price being mooted. And... So, you know, to your point about being a can't miss, there really isn't such a thing as a can't miss, but this is very much in the world of being a projection on on talent. So... Right, I, I think this mm-hmm. is one of those things, right, where you're you're kind of thinking, well, at Leeds, he's kind of the, the main man, and at Arsenal, he won't have that same burden, so you're able to kind of project a little bit more of, you know, maybe he can he have a little bit more space and time, and he doesn't have the same focus. And it's like those kinds of things don't always translate when you move between clubs. Like sometimes you got to be the guy with the ball all the time, and like I think that's something that you know you kind of look at what happened with Jack Grealish and his move to Manchester City. Right, he was the guy at Aston Villa moving to Manchester City, and now he's the second, third option kind of a thing. And that, that's a tough adjustment sometimes to make for for guys that were used to doing that. And it's not always easy, and right? And that and when we're making this like one of our premier signings of the season, 
that could be tough for us. We can't necessarily swallow, you know, with this move not necessarily working out like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, like, where I land on it is I'd like to get him. And if we don't, like, I can, I can also live with that. And I, I feel like there are areas we can address that will move the needle for this team where it is right now more than just adding Rafinha and leaving ourselves in a position where we're limited in other moves. You know, I will point out, too, like this season they scored 42 goals. It's not great. The season before that, they scored 62. Okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, Leeds were pretty free-scoring. And and he scored, you know, not that many goals. Right? I mean, like, like, do you see what I'm saying? Like, people say, oh, well, if he comes to a good team, you're going to see him explode. But... Leeds were a team that did emphasize attack more than most bad teams. Yeah. So, you know, I, I mean, one of the things, you know, kind of looking at when I did the the stats stuff too, is that where he actually touched the ball is much more winger than inside forward. So I think that kind of explains why his tilt is more towards being a creative forces. Um, and, you know, you kind of look at his shots and it's not the greatest shot locations, but I think that's kind of a, a factor of starting in that fifth channel instead of starting in the fourth channel. Um, I, I did a yeah. comparison between what him and Saka did. And, you know, Saka spends a lot of time out on that, you know, the touch line because we don't get a lot of fullback overlap to be able to help us there. But he still finds a way to receive passes in better locations than what Rafinha was able to do at Leeds. And, you know, maybe that's part of the you know reflection of he's the guy and that's the only place that he can find space and that kind of makes it hard. But again, that's that's that projection that you have to imagine. Maybe that's just where he likes to get the ball or maybe that's where he's comfortable and maybe he never makes that change to get the ball more inside. That's almost kind of what happened with Pepe when, you know, he's with, with Arsenal. He gets stuck on that right, you know, touchline and he can't get the ball inside and get effective and to be able to, you know, get that ball into his left foot to take those shots. And, and that's the thing, I, you know, it, the the projection of what a player will be like in a new club is really, really hard to do. And there are error bars around it. And I think the very, very, very best players maybe have the smallest error bars. Mm-hmm. But there's a big squishy middle, right, of good players who go anywhere from like 30 million all the way up to like 60 or 70 million pounds where there's big error bars. Yeah, you know, there's there's the Pepe's of the world, right? And then there's the Diogo Jodas of the world, and it is sort of hard to pin down what you're going to get from them. So I I just can't find the energy to be outraged that we won't get into a bidding war over this guy. Now, had Chelsea come in for Jesus and we weren't willing to go the distance to get our player, I think that would have bothered me more, right? A guy we clearly identified as a number one target who the manager clearly felt was a solution at a critical position. You got to get that guy, and we did. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that's a different thing. The, the, the other point here that, that I think is important, Scott, is that building a great team requires, I think, a balance of two skill sets in the market. One is identifying your must-have targets and being decisive and going and getting them. It also requires a creativity and a flexibility when there's a guy you think could be a good addition, but where for one reason or another you can't negotiate with a player or, or there's another club that comes in with a bid that's too big for you to match, to have a a set of alternatives in mind, an ability to pivot away from that such that you are not just focused entirely on that one piece of the puzzle. Because I do think that's how you can wreck a squad building project is to be so single-minded about a, a player that isn't even really your your most important piece that you you kind of let your plans go to pieces about it. All right, I think we should leave it there. That's a, that's a good discussion of Rafinha, uh, sort of out of the blue. 
But I feel like it was on everybody's mind and it was worth talking about. And I hope this doesn't come across as us just trying to be like, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. But really, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. All right. We're going to talk a little uh, philanthropy. We're going to talk a little Gooners versus Cancer. And then we're going to talk to Clive about Gabriel Jesus. But before we do that, I do want to let you know that if we don't get Rafinha, there's always a way to get talent. And that is by logging on to Indeed. That's right. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a hiring partner that's powerful and can help you do it all. You find great talent through time-saving tools like instant match assessments and virtual interviews. With instant match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a post, according to Indeed data. Now, one of the features that I do love that we've been talking about recently is virtual interviews, and I just want to remind you, we are starting to normalize to a hybrid work environment, and that means that interviewing doesn't have to be in person. It can be virtual. There's a lot of benefits to that, but what I will tell you is with virtual interviews on Indeed, it saves you time. You can message, schedule, interview top talent all in one place. Okay, there's nothing to install, no plugins, nothing works right from your browser. Saves you time, gets you the candidates you want. In fact, most employers said it saved them days of hiring time, according to Indeed data. Okay? And even better, Indeed's the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. So sign up for Indeed now and get a $75 uh, credit towards your first sponsored job, plus earn up to 500 extra in sponsored job credits with Indeed's virtual interviews. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to learn more. Claim your credits at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed Elliot. Is that enough of that? Indeed. All right. One of my favorite guests is back. You may know him from the Gooners pod, although probably not, but you do know him as Mike from Gooners vs. Cancer. You can donate generously at GoonersVCancer.com, and he is here to tell you about phenomenal reasons why you should do that. Mike, it is always a pleasure to have you on. Always a pleasure to be on, Elliot. Thanks for, for letting me do this and talk to your great, uh, your great users. <laughs> users. They are, they are, I don't know what they're using. They are probably using uh, the, the things that I say on this podcast to berate me on social media platforms if they haven't blocked me there already. Uh, they're certainly using Clive uh, as I would imagine you would use any substance that gives you a buzz or a high. Uh, Everybody's when you getting it. their money's worth. You know, it's, Everybody it's, is. They're, yeah. they're absolutely. Um, users, you know, I've heard it called listeners, but, but who knows how the kids are, or what they're putting in their body these days. I, I don't judge. We don't shame. Um, but what we do know uh, is that our bodies sometimes let us down in the form of uh, developing cancer, and it is a terrible and serious thing, and you have been fighting against it for years now with Gunners versus Cancer. We've had you on to talk about the backstory of why you do that. You've won awards for the fundraising you've done with Gunners versus Cancer. So I think, given that we have limited time, let's just dive right into what's on the agenda right now, Gunners versus Cancer, what people can sign up for, what they can get, other than the great feeling that comes from knowing you're helping battle one of the major scourges of human history. Which is a great feeling to know, and uh, and, and we're getting closer and closer to ridding ourselves of that scourge, but... Uh, you know what we like to do at Gunners versus Cancer is give you kind of an opportunity to to get something back, whether it's fun, whether it's the opportunity to win something, whether it's a guarantee of winning something, and that's really what we're all about. And we're pretty much going year round at this point. So we're at a point in time where we are right at the end of one thing and right going into another. So it's really perfect timing to be able to tell everybody about this. Right now, you've got about a day or two left. Thursday evening of this week at 10 p.m. UK is the closing of the 89 shirt. And I believe I've, I've talked about this on your podcast before. 
it's a one of a kind, just an absolutely unique piece of Arsenal memorabilia, a, a retro 89 shirt, like the one that they wore on that famous night in Anfield signed, which and, I got to cut, I got to cut in. Yeah. You were there. And not oh. in the, I was there the way internet people say they were there, where there were 500 million people there. You were actually there. Well, I was in London at a pub. I wasn't at, I wasn't at the game at Anfield. Oh, that's right. You were at the one before it, weren't you? I was at the two before it, the, the, the Wimbledon and the uh, <laughs> not and to the rub Derby it. game. So, yeah, so not, yeah, only, yeah. not only have I uh, uh, yeah, lied I and you yeah, actually weren't the there, I've rubbed, rubbed in the worst aspect of it, which is you were at the two games prior and then missed Anfield 89. Okay, I feel exactly. good about so, that. We're not editing that out. Keep going. I've been I, I've been holding that in for thirty five years, and now we or thirty two years, and now we have the opportunity to really uh, light somebody's life. So we have a eighty nine shirt like the ones they wore at the game that I didn't go to uh, because my mommy wouldn't let me because I was fifteen mm. years old, and it is signed by the four Arsenal legends that led to that famous moment: John Lukic, Lee Dixon. Alan Smith and Michael Thomas, and not only signed by them, but if you remember watching on TV, as I did, thank you very much, uh, the famous Brian Moore, you know, Arsenal comes streaming up the pitch in what surely must be the last attack. Uh, that commentary is written by those four amazing Arsenal legends in the portion that they had the ball at their feet. So John Lukic has written the first part and then signed it. Lee Dixon, the second part, and then signed it. Alan Smith, so on and so forth, up until Michael Thomas has written, you know, Thomas right at the end, uh, or it's up for grabs now, Thomas right at the end, and then signed by Michael Thomas. And it's just a, uh, it, it's an amazing piece of Arsenal memorabilia. It was created by the hands of the people who gave so many people their their amazing memories and, and love for Arsenal. It's certainly the moment that turned me into an Arsenal supporter all these years later, still as as into the team as I ever have been. So so that has been on raffle for the last six months or so. We were looking to get 500 entries. Each entry involves going to GoonersVCancer.com, donating $25, which in local currency in, in England would be just about 19 or 20 pounds. And all of that goes directly to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society and gets you an entry, one out of 500, to win this shirt. You can make more than one donation. You can you can do fifty dollars, hundred dollars, and get more chances to win. But the, we're going to cap it out at five hundred, or on Thursday night at ten p.m. UK, and uh, and then on Friday at nine thirty on the Gooners podcast, we're going to have a special episode where we actually draw the winner, and somebody's going to end up with this incredible shirt, and I'm going to be able to send it to them and get it out of my house because I've been worried I was going to like spill food on it or something awful. <laughs> Justifiably, no doubt. Fortunately, um, doesn't fit me, so that, so I've been able to actually, you know, not resist the, the the desire to wear it. It's it's an incredible piece of memorabilia, and even without the memorabilia, it's an incredible cause. So you just do it anyway. But uh, it's GoonersVCancer.com. GoonersV as in victory over cancer. GoonersVCancer also like versus cancer. But GoonersVCancer.com. He belabors the point as uh, is my goal and want and uh, job on this podcast. But that's not the only thing you got going on that supports this great cause. The other one, uh, for those uh, FIFA players out there, is potentially going to be even more appealing. Yep. I mean, you know, look, the 89 shirt might appeal to those old fogies of like like me who, uh, you know, who were alive and remember those who days. still but, wear shirts. 
who still wears shirts exactly mm-hmm. um and uh, well i don't always wear shirts i'm not wearing one right now but yeah, that's fair mm-hmm. the um the for some of our younger folks or you know older folks who who have thumbs that work uh and and reaction time less than 10 seconds um if you play fifa and you either have an xbox or xbox or a playstation which i believe you would have to, is a prerequisite to playing fifa in most cases the pc yeah. gamers are tutting it you know yeah i just realized i left and and the people with the uh you know with the with the nintendo wii uh that are jumping Switch. up and down right now mm-hmm. exactly don't forget that mm-hmm. but sorry we don't have it on the pc right now just xbox and playstation we have a tournament it's actually a fifa champions league tournament it's the third annual one it starts on july 26th it runs for just over a week until August 4th, when we then roll right into our Friday Night Massacre at Crystal Palace. Um, But it's a really fun event. You can check out more about it. But basically, an an entry involves a donation to Gunners V Cancer. With that donation comes the spot in the tournament, which guarantees you at least six games, possibly more. Chats with other people that uh, are around the world, other gooners that you might have a chance to meet. And I've seen friendships, not marriages necessarily, but friendships come out of this. Um, and, uh, and it's just a really fun event. There's some banter. There's some fun, uh, the occasional argument. But it's all for a very good cause, raising money for gooners versus cancer and the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. And, of course, there are prizes for the winners, runners-up, and the, you know, the quarterfinalists all get something to show for their efforts and you can learn more about it at two different websites, depending on what platform, www.gvcxbox.com. GVC, of course, for Gooners V Cancer. So it's www.gvcxbox.com and gvcplaystation.com are the two uh, registration sites. Registration's open now. And because I am the ultimate huckster, uh, if you register by 10 p.m. on July 10th, so you've got a little over a week, almost two weeks, you'll get uh, five extra raffle tickets to our summer arsenal raffle instead of just the one that normally comes with it. So there's all sorts of reasons to just get off your tuchus, get onto your computer, register for this tournament, and, uh, and, and, and have a great time while helping to kick cancer. So there you go. Beat cancer, right? That's one. Either... By entering to win a signed uh, shirt from the four players involved in the winning goal at Anfield in 89 by going to GoonersVCancer.com. And it's last call for that, really. So you really need to do that in the next day. Um, Or be ahead of the game and get extra raffle tickets by signing up at GVCXbox.com or GVCPlaystation.com to be in the FIFA tournament and win prizes, fabulous prizes, but most importantly, bragging rights as you humiliate other people who are only there for philanthropic purposes, but you don't care because you are doing some kind of vulgar celebration on them with every goal you score. Gooners versus Cancer. GoonersVCancer.com or GVCXbox or GVCPlaystation.com. Do it because it's the right thing to do, but also because you may win something wonderful. Uh, Mike can be found at the Gooners Pod on Twitter. He can be found uh, usually in London at an Arsenal game somewhere. Um, <laughs> it seems more often than anywhere else. And he can be found occasionally on this podcast supporting this wonderful, wonderful philanthropic endeavor that he has undertaken. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you, Elliot. Appreciate it. Take care. All right. Stay with us. So here with me now is Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. How you doing? Yeah, good. So, uh, look, I mean, we've said a lot about Gabriel Jesus. 
I don't think we're going to cover a lot of new ground. I don't want to put the pressure on us to like try to say that one thing that we haven't said yet. But let's start high level and drill down a little bit. First, just your initial reaction, not necessarily to his arrival, but to the fact that Arsenal seems to have won a race with other clubs that were interested, attracted a good player that was our, I think, our primary target and able to do so at the expense of other teams that would have felt that they had a pretty good argument to make for getting him themselves. Yeah, so those who listen to the podcast, they recognize that we've been looking ahead and really projecting around the project for quite a while. And we've given a lot of benefit of the doubt. We recognize we had to do some work to, you know, to clean house. That's not always been good. You know, some people will say, well, we've let Aubameyang go, et cetera, et cetera. So we cleaned house and, and here we are. We still got a bit of housekeeping to do. Some of those lone players coming back to training, etc. But now we're looking forward, and so the first phase, obviously, with the six players coming in last summer, sort of not caught us by surprise, but maybe pointed a direction for us. We could all follow and see and feel. Lovely year, lots of clapping, lots of celebrating, lots of unity. But the next phase really is okay. How much does the football world believe in what we're doing? Because the next layer. We need some 25-year-olds, right? Some some quality, some people that have done this before. And if they don't believe in it, then that puts under threat some of the people we are developing beneath that. So, Jesus, for me, when it first hit, uh, I thought, oh, that's interesting. Then you immediately, the way we're playing with Lacazette, you immediately think, okay, stylistically, this really fits. Okay, multi-positional, wants to play in the centre, super tight control, twist turns, First, you know, primary and secondary movement in the box is stunning. He attacks the aerial ball, attacks crosses like it's his last supper. I'm thinking, yeah, mate, this looks good. This looks really good, and um, and it seems to have come I can't to fruition. You went with the last supper. Gabriel Jesus. <laughs> I don't know if that See, was intended, but if so, it was, it was intended. But you know what? I shouldn't have said that. Should I? I should, have, I should have just rolled no, no, with no, it. I think it was <laughs> I should have Keep just going. rolled with it. <laughs> but he does, isn't he? he and something, there's something about South Americans, particularly as forwards, they really bring a level of excitement. I don't want to use the word desperation, but real. They really care about the movements, the inches. They really. They really have him, and Luis Diaz has it, you know. They really have that desire around the box. And I think it Rafinha transfers. Rafinha was talking about that recently, by the way. He had an interview yes. uh, for the Players' Tribune where he basically said, this isn't pressure. Pressure is threats and gunshots and some of the things I grew up with trying to play football and focus on my football. So, exactly. you know, definitely the environment you come from, and that doesn't just have to be in South America, by the way. It can be anywhere. But the yeah. environment you come from is the is the crucible in which you are forged and can determine the extent to which external pressures wind up having an impact on you when you're on a pitch, you know? I've seen that in uh, academies earlier. You know, it's really, <laughs> uh, you got you got some kids that I call them the Range Rover kids, right? When mummy drops off in a Range Rover and you got some kids that come from maybe less positive environments and when they go on a football pitch, you can, you can literally see the difference. You know, you can. You've got someone who really wants it versus someone who's, really good at football, but maybe yeah. does not. Yeah. Does, I mean, there's a slight difference. Doesn't need it in the same way. <laughs> Doesn't need it in the same way. And then we all find our motivations differently, right? So um, re, I read, you know, I posted out the Players' Tribune and stuff, and I've been reading about Gabriel Jesus as well, because I think it's important to know um, 
what you're dealing with and they make different backgrounds, different cultures. You see Jesus, here's a picture of him. I think he was painting the streets when um, Brazil came over in the World Cup, when, sorry, when the World Cup's in Brazil. And you look at him, you think, crikey, look at you now. You know, that, that story, I mean, I don't know in detail yet, but we obviously we all will soon. It's just a wonderful, wonderful story, right? It's the point one percentile that make it to the top level, there's always a story behind it. And um, but going back to Arsenal, he's, the way he plays, and I think he's, he's perfect for us. And where he is in his career motivation, you heard me say before, how you walk for the door is really important. The price is just about right. You know, it's just about right. And if it was cheaper, you'd wonder why. Do you know what I mean? I start with, well, the first time I think I saw this link, it was around 30 mil, I believe. But then he, but then he started scoring. <laughs> and then you realize the market has changed. And But I do, I feel it's just about right. And um, and he feels very right to me. I haven't read anyone almost disagree with that. Have you? I mean, I'm not too sure. No, I guess there are some people. And, and so this was actually where I wanted to go next. What's your reaction to the suggestion that, like, he's a very good player, he's a very nice player, but for a top-tier first-choice signing intended to sort of be our principal fix for the center-forward position, he hasn't done it enough or hasn't shown enough in his game and in his output specifically to to warrant that the confidence in him at that level. Like, how do you how do you react to the suggestion that we haven't seen enough to be pinning our hopes on this and and pinning our hopes? I know you don't like language like that, but he is yeah. coming in presumably. To, to be the starter in a position where two senior players we spent over 100 million pounds on when we acquired them have just left the club. So yeah. do you think that it it's at some level a bit of a roll of the dice or do you feel more confident than that? I feel more confident. And I look at the attack as a group, as you know I'm going to say this, you know me well enough. Right? So like a, I look at the attack as a group, uh, your, your front four diamond and your fifth person coming into that front five, whichever way you want to do it, whether it be an eight or a fullback, doesn't bother me. And so, but what I do know is we need someone that can receive the ball. We need someone that can control the ball, hold people off with physicality, run the sides. He can do that. He can carry the ball. When, when you watch videos of him, what I really enjoy is when the ball goes into a player and the realm of possibilities are endless. Do you know what I mean? So when the ball goes in, I feel something's just about to start. But I'm not sure what it is. There's a slick turn. He turns away, pops it off, gets it back. Sometimes just drives at people like a winger. So he's a winger down the centre. He's a winger down the sides. In the box, he can find real tight control, which makes people step away because he's in the box. And so he brings possibilities with him. And when you have other intelligent footballers around him that can work off his movements, I do think it's going to be a real positive for us. But I do see it as a group. I think uh, he's not a Haaland, per se, where you just get the ball to Haaland or get the ball to Kane and see what happens, right? I don't think he's that. I think he's a, he's a forward in the group that fits it like a glove, shall we say, with the, the way we play, the way we overload in midfield with a, almost like a diamond shape, the way we have wide attackers. But I do think his activity, and this is something I want to see this year, his activity and movement, control, carrying, early shots, ferocity in the box, that's that's a massive step up from where we've been, in my opinion. And I think we've been yeah. carrying, we've been playing football with one arm time behind our back, basically, relying on 21-year-olds to, um, to, to over-exceed to allow us to stay in contact with the top four. Yeah, and I mean... 
the thing that I, I realize, the, the one persistent issue in his game, if you want to call it an issue, is he has been a, a guy who underperforms XG. So there is a question about his finishing. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he's not had a season where he's overperformed his XG. He's had one season where he literally met it on the, just about on the nose. But like, um, I do think there are people that look at that and say that's an issue. Yeah. And I don't worry about it too much. I think in general, finishing tends to even out. I mean, unless you're you're talking about, you know, players like I, I guess was it Timo Werner who had a nightmare season and um yeah who's the guy I'm thinking of? Is it Morientis? Uh, no, that's going back way too far. Who were we linked with just this season as a potential loan signing from Spain? Morata. He had played Morata. Morata. That's the guy I'm thinking of. Thank yeah. you, Morientis. That goes back a little further, but um, Murata is is a guy who has persistently had those problems in front of goal. Yeah. But I mean, d- does that concern you at all? And, and realize we're talking about you know fourteen goals in a season where he had eighteen and a half expected. Okay, that's not great, but the rest of the time, it's about a, a one goal difference. So we're not miles yeah. off here. You know? Mate, if he gets fifteen goals, considering our centre forward last year got four, we're quids in, aren't we? Right, so, so that's that's where we fifteen to twenty goals. I'd be really, really happy. So what I did at the weekend because there wasn't much sport at the weekend. So what I did, I watched two games. <laughs> well, I watched the first half of the Man City Arsenal game on New Year's Day, and I also watched the Man City Liverpool game, um, the one all draw. As you do, yep. And. Because you want to learn about people and say they feel differently. So when you watch the Man City game, Arsenal game again, Jesus was fantastic. Played centre forward, caused us no end of problems. Basically got our man sent off. The way he received the ball in the halfway line was stunning. And he had a very good game. When you watch it again with new eyes, because obviously when we're watching the game in real time, we're thinking, oh my God, Arsenal are playing brilliant. Can we? Uh, this is the best we played all season in that first half, and then the game changed once Jack got hold of um, Gabriel's um, shirt, right? So, um, so yeah, it's. Uh, I thought he was fantastic in that game. In the Liverpool game again, he played centre forward. He always plays in all the big games, and he scored, but he also missed some chances. But what I noticed earlier, he made those chances. You know, he travelled into the box. He dribbled. He chopped. He took. You know, took a shot, slashed a shot at the near post, should have gone to the back post. Maybe there was a couple he should have laid off. But this was all, you know, not self-generated, but it was him in the box creating his own shot. Do you know what I mean? And so when you're scouting someone, looking at someone, you're thinking, well, you've got those intentions in you. I transfer that skill to us. I'm not looking at his shooting technique and thinking, I need to get you against the wall and see what you can, how many times you can bang it or drift it or clip it. I'm just looking at someone who's, absolutely ferocious in his shooting style and sometimes he lacks a bit of control i don't see a problem that's that's going to make us all put our head in our hands do you know what i mean i don't see glaring misses i see sometimes poor choice of a finish do you know what i mean um near post rather than far post sometimes the slashing technique when a bit of composure is required i don't see anything it's not decision-based. You know, it's just decisions rather than technique or ability or power or skill. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to me when I look at his data because looking at his data, if you throw out not this past season but the one before, the 2021 season, he looks 
full on, completely elite to me. This yeah. is a guy that's somewhere between 0.8 and one expected goal plus non non penalty expected goal plus expected assists per ninety. And essentially, yeah. what I'm saying is he's creating one goal of expected output per game in his yeah. career or thereabouts. But the season before last was a down season for him. He took fewer shots. He created fewer scoring chances. He had fewer goal scoring involvements or, or yeah. expected goal scoring involvements. But this is a guy who for his career is a three to four shot per 90 guy who is a three to four shot creating action guy who is producing, like I said, almost a goal of expected output per game if you throw out the 2021 season. And I can't explain why that season was hard for me. Who knows? Maybe he didn't find it as easy to perform without the fans. Maybe there was something about football in that period that, you know, lost him a little bit. I mean, who knows? You could forgive him for that, and that may just be creating an excuse for him, I accept. But look, sometimes you have to throw out the similar players thing on FB ref. Because yeah. the similar players thing on FB Ref is sourced in a lot of different ways. But when you look at this guy's similar players, it's Nkunku, Diaz, Mane, Sterling, Kingsley Komen, uh, Youngman Son, Diogo Jota, uh, Pablo Diba, uh, Paulo Dibala, yeah, Kareem Dibala. Benzema, and Kylian Mbappe. Okay? So it's like, <laughs> at a minimum, the fact that those guys are in the discussion is, is worth looking at. Now, I'm not going to go full data dive. Maybe we'll get Scott to do a really deep data dive. And if you want to look, uh, he reposted it on Twitter. He did do a, a a deep dive on whether Gabriel Jesus has a finishing issue and the extent to which it's an issue. But let's set that aside for a second, Clive. Let's shift the balance of this conversation to specifically what he's going to do for us. I think he can play all the way across the front three. I think he can be a provider. I think he can be an end product guy. I definitely think if you unleash this guy in the penalty area, he's going to cause absolute chaos for defenses. My view is that he is here to be our center forward. And he has done that for Brazil and done it effectively at times. He's done it for Manchester City effectively at times. Other times he's been asked to play out wide, which he's also done effectively. But I I really don't believe we pushed the boat out for him with Lacazette and Aubameyang gone unless we think he can play center forward. So for me, that's his position. Yeah. Do, you, do you agree that's where we're going to play him and that's where he's going to have to have the impact? I agree. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why he's chosen us, because he's coming as mm-hmm. a center forward. He knows where he's going to be playing, who he's going to be playing with. And the fact we're looking at Rafinha tells you that we're looking to load up in wide areas as well, which says to me, yep. by the way, you're going to be our center forward. And I think it suits his Brazil career because Rafinha maybe stick on for the right wing and um, Vinicius Jr. for the left wing and Neymar in there somewhere. So if you want to play for Brazil, mate, centre forward is is there or nothing. Otherwise, you're coming off the bench. You know, so this gives him a chance to publicise himself in that role. And I think he's ready for it. There comes... It comes to stage in your life when you're young, <laughs> when you're really young, and those wide areas are easy for you. I'm not saying he's old, but he's 25 now, and he's ready for the next phase of his career tactically. He's going to do it with a guy who's a trusted coach, who he's known for years. It just sort of makes sense. I mean, some some moves just sort of feel right, don't they? For the moment yeah. the moments hit the airways, you all went, oh, that makes so much sense. You know, it makes so much sense. The only doubts I had was, how are we going to use him? I didn't want to go into like this false nine thing. I don't want to be obsessed with that. Yeah. You know, I want us to have a centre forward that's, that cares about scoring and you know, not cares about setting the mm-hmm. ball off. We've got number 10 that doesn't want to shoot too much, 
right? So you put too much onus on those wide forwards. And the way we use our wide forwards, not like Liverpool do, we don't, we don't cradle them with fullbacks. We stick them on the touchlines, right, and say, score from there. Have three, four passes and sprint inside and score from there. And I'm, I think it's too much onus on people too far away from the goal. You know, and and I think that cost us towards the end of the season. I don't. I think we got to cradle them a little bit more. We got to get them closer to the goal, allow them to do their work near the goal, and threaten teams inside fullbacks, not outside the fullbacks. So I think Jesus provides a lot of this area, and I think I agree with you hundred percent. Centre forward, stick on centre forward. Obviously, if we want to change something late in the game and put on, say, an Eddie again, I want to stick him on the right because something's happened out there, or stick him on the left, we can do that. But his primary role for me is centre-forward, and I, I, th- I think that's one of the reasons why he's here. And he will immediately, e- even based off his worst season stats, immediately be the guy who takes the most shots in our team. Um, and if Rafinha comes, you know he'll be close to that too. The yeah. irony is actually the guy who takes the most shots in our team right now, based on his past statistics, is Fabio Vieira. <laughs> you know, wow, that's, that's, that's sort of an interesting, mm, yeah. interesting thing to consider. Um, it shows I mean, where we're going, doesn't it? creating actions, he'll be right up there too. It what shows where we're going, doesn't it? It shows where we're going. We've, we've, we've done really well this year on build-up, you know, looking at the base of our team, looking at our framework, mm-hmm. how we play in our right area and our left area. And just everything is set there now, how we overload central spaces. It's set. But what's not set is our presence, authority, and goal threat. Our shot volume for me, and also how we receive the ball in the top third. And I think Jesus, his number one quality for me is how he receives the ball. And it's bang, yeah. bang, bang, gone. You know, it's, this is top stuff. I mean, who, who do you think benefits in our team the most from Jesus' arrival? It's a, it is a big change of style to from Lacazette. I think there are some people that put forward that it was actually a similar style to Enkedia. I don't see that. I think Jesus is a much more effective on-the-ball center forward or just player than Enkedia is. Um but you you know your your mileage may vary there. So yeah. Who do you think is the benef- biggest beneficiary of his arrival? You know what happens in the team, right? So think about the role that Lacazette played last year. He was very much the father, and he would be there for these young lads. He'd be setting them up, and he supported them in their first in that big full season in forward line. Particularly Martinelli, for example, started more games, and so he supported them and he facilitated them. He enabled them. But he didn't take on the attacking burden. So in the end, our wide, our younger players became overburdened until they ran out of puff towards the end of the season. What Jay Zeus will do, he'll say, I can do all that facilitation stuff for you. I can be there for you. I can be just as sharp. I can be stronger. I can hold the ball. I can get fouls because Lacazette was not getting fouls towards the end of the season because people could see he could barely stand up, right? So referees won't give him a break. I can also challenge people down both sides. I can carry the ball to them. And by the way, don't follow me. I'll take the offensive responsibility. I'm happy to take my shots. And by the way, I'll set you up as well. We'll all go together, shall we? Shall we all get our shots off? So I feel as though he'll, and then the young players will go, you know what? He's taking it on. He's taking something away from me. How can I support him? I'm a, I can be a leader now. I can now do my thing and really focus on it, but we can do it as a group. I think just that psychological difference of people prepared to take responsibility themselves. I think will really empower our younger players and keep them fresher mentally and we'll get more from them 
over a longer period of time. Elliot, how many times in games have you seen us play? And I'm talking about the players that we love, by the way. Martinelli, Saka, Smith-Rowe. They have one common thing for me. They don't play well over 90 minutes consistently. They play in fantastic bursts. You know, I've watched a lot of games, re-watched a lot of games. Some of that could be fatigue. We need to get more from them for longer periods. And some of that will come when we get to the five substitute rule. <laughs> some of that will come. Uh, and and the ability to rotate and play two games and share games, I think it's going to be a real benefit for us because we've got some real sharp, intense forwards developing and we're purchasing maybe one, maybe two. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think he he gives us the ability to... I think be more of that front-footed team that we want to be too. I felt oh, that Lacazette, Lacazette did a lot of things that were important. I, it's hard, right? Because I think Lacazette had a poor season as a center forward, but I do think he did some things that facilitated a transition in the way we wanted to play. Agreed. Ultimately, if we want to be higher up the pitch, if we want to press more, win the ball higher up, and keep the ball higher up, and still maintain threat, I think he enables that style of play. I think he is someone who can work in those compressed spaces really well. I don't think he's a big space player necessarily, right? I, I don't think he's going to run away from defenders, you know, edge, you know, shoulder the last defender at the halfway line kind of player. Yeah. But you put him in those compressed spaces. And I was saying this on um, on pod the other day. I think it was the Avenal Roadcast. But like, Clive, one of the things that was such a, I would say such a staple of the way Arsenal attacked for so many years were the triangles on the edge of the area. We mm-hmm. had them on both sides. And we had them with Awobi and Alexis and Giroud, and we had them with Ozil. And we, you know, we we have a triangle on the right side that's developed now. You know, Odegaard and Saka and really and one other, whether it's the center forward yeah. or the fullback. On the left, and this is not a dig at Shaka specifically, we haven't developed that triangle on the left. And I think that, you know, the addition of maybe a Fabio Vieira could help with that if he plays. I think getting our starting natural fullback back can help. But I think Gabriel Jesus has the ability to maybe support both sides a little more than we saw. So I'll be yeah. curious to see if that develops. I mean, do you think do you think that his in, his in inclusion into this group might help add a little balance versus what we saw with, with Lacazette in terms of the, the both flanks coming into the game more? Uh, more activity, Elliot. If you're looking at our forward yeah. line... More activity, more mobility, more overlapping from our 10-stroke eights to get involved, to people to run through. You know, if you, the Liverpool game was really instructive for me, the home game this year. We had them. We did really well against them. In the second half, mate, they started to run through our lines from all different mm-hmm. angles. The eights ran through. The fullbacks ran through. They started to run through. They started to run through us and really destabilize us. Liverpool do not get enough credit for their tactical adjustment. Everyone thinks they're just a physical team that keeps you in the areas. Tactically, they worked us out. They worked out that we were getting out to Martinelli in particular. We had them stretched out. But they said, you know what? We're going to stress them down the middle. And they ran through our middle. And I'm telling you, mate, I saw it. And we can do this now. We can run through. I think it's amazing how we all see the game differently. You know me, although I, the one thing I always forget is the pressing angle. And mm. I, I just, it's just not in my priorities, but I have to say it's something that's becoming a priority for me now because look at the players. We have pressing yeah. players. We have them. 
we we we're not we're not we're not carrying people who we, let's just talk about the one the one seventy five million French guys, right? We know who they are. Mm-hmm. Come on, their ferocity off the ball isn't there. Right, Lacazette's the best of the three of them, but we all know that it comes in fifty-minute caps, right? And so John's ambulance waiting on the sideline to give him some oxygen, right? So you can't have, you can't, you know, that's not something you can sustain. Hence, why we play in bursts. So that ability to sustain quality, to sustain the game plan over a longer period, is what I'm really looking for. If we can do that, if we can maintain control, maintain pressing, counter pressing, maintain the ball in certain areas for longer. I think our quality now can execute. And I also think our defensive record will get better because of where we're playing and where we can keep people. Yeah. You know? And that's my that's my thing for this year. What if I if I can see the ball in areas for longer, if I can see more varied quality movement, desire around the box to get shots, I think just by design our number's gonna look a little bit better. You know, and I think if I'm Arteta now, I'm working a lot more. I think this season he worked a lot on the ball, but I'm thinking, yeah, maybe yeah. this is the season to work off the ball, you know, and, yeah, and, I, and I, talk I about right. some of what you're thinking about in it. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, you put Martinelli, Saka and Gabriel Jesus out there and you ask them to press and not only can they press, but I think when they win the ball back, they can, they can devastate. Right. And that's, yeah. that's the other thing. I mean, sometimes we were winning the ball back, but we maybe didn't have the devastation to turn the team around and attack them. The thing that I see when Gabriel Jesus, when I watch Gabriel Jesus on film, and we obviously did a scouting video of him, mm-hmm. he's got a lot of the, the skills that you want in a player on the ball, but he makes so many runs. Yeah. Even if you're in the, in the final third, He's constantly challenging the the defensive line to hold its line, to to track his runs, to be aware of his runs. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you wanted to criticize Lacazette, it's that. It's that he wanted to be the focal point, you know, get the ball to my feet at the top of the box or top of the final third or halfway line, and I will, you know, I will try to facilitate from there. Gabriel yeah. Jesus wants to force that defensive line to drop deeper, challenge them. He will make the diagonal run across into the box. How many times did we do rewatches and we're like, and I was saying to you, Clive, why isn't he making that run? Why isn't he making this run? Isn't this the run across the face or to the back post? And Gabriel Jesus makes so many of those runs. And inevitably, they just pull defenses apart and they open space up and they give Saka the ability to attack, you know, one man on the ball or Martinelli to ghost him behind or whatever the case may be. And that, that brings Odegaard into the game more. That brings a Fabio Vieira into the game more, whoever it is. I tried to go with the Portuguese pronunciation there and just embarrass myself. Ah, Ignore it. Um, I, I think, I think it's sort of exciting to think about how just that, that one change makes a difference. And we saw it with Eddie Nketiah, by the way, whatever your evaluation of Eddie Nketiah we saw the difference it makes to have a center forward who provokes the space in behind and 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 wants to attack the space in behind defenders, even in a compressed area. Um, I think Gabriel Jesus' arrival is principally about making us harder, making it harder for us to be contained by the weaker teams, right? I don't know if I think Gabriel Jesus means we go and beat Liverpool and Manchester City now. I'm not sure it does that. But I do think it means we don't find ourselves nil-nil after 90 minutes with the the bottom half teams or finishing with eight shots and a 1-1 draw at home to a a mediocre team. I I think it's designed to give us more of the ability to punish the the weaker teams where we're going to have the ball in their final third more. The game that stands out to me 
is the Southampton game late in the season. And that was was Southampton was in the three game losing run, right? Yeah, Southampton, Brighton, and Palace. It, yeah, it was Palace. Yeah, the Southampton game in particular, maybe the second half against Brighton too. Games where I felt we didn't, we had the we had the control, but we didn't have the threat. Burnley at home in January was another good example. Had the control, but didn't have the threat. And I think this is a signing that specifically addresses those kinds of games. Yeah, the that, Burnley. That's how I see it. Yeah, yeah, I think. Um, Burnley at home game, we played in 50-minute bursts after halftime, should have scored, Lacazette missed the open goal, game over, nothing left, right, nothing left in the tank, because offensively we got tired. Um, I think the whole concept around not subcontracting out your role, if you're the number nine, be it. Do you see what I mean? And that means combination, setting the play, don't don't define your career and giving the ball to somebody else. You're number nine. Right, yep. so, and so, and I think that alone will make a difference. I totally agree about movement. I think Eddie will learn a lot from his movement. His secondary movement after he knocked the ball off is just a joke. He just disappears yeah, fifteen yards away, and suddenly it's a new position for him to mark. He's always on the move. When the ball's in his area, he's fully active. He's fully active, ready to press. He's fully active, ready to to receive it, to twist, to turn, to get a shot. Or if he knocks it off, he's gone again. And he's gone out the side of your TV screen. Gone. Got to find him. Right? So, I watched Ronaldo score one goal. I think it might have, I'm not sure. It might have been against Spurs, actually. He knocked it off on the left-hand corner of the area. And he travelled along the back four. One, two, three, four. Ended up between the left back and the centre back. And nodded it at the back post. That ability to reposition is such a hard thing. When players move laterally across defenders, Elliot... The big, tr- the, the the real worry is you're not sure when to pass them on. So you move one, you move again, you move again. It's hard to pass them on. So it's, they're hard to mark. And that's what Jesus does. You can't pass him on. He's there, always challenging your lines, always challenging your gaps. Mate, more, now you've got me going on him. I'm getting, I'm getting really excited, mm-hmm. right? I'm getting well, really excited. And it's interesting, right? Because I realize that City and Liverpool have sort of just changed to more of a fixed point in a system kind of center forward. I mean, Nunez can play in the left half space in the left yeah. channel, but, but Holland and Nunez are more center forwards who are going to play between the half spaces, not, you know, in them or outside them. But yeah. I do like the idea of not having a fixed point in the, in a system where you know where they're going to be. And the thing that I like about adding Gabriel Jesus is if he and Saka switch or he and Martinelli switch or, you know, whatever the case may be, and there's movement and, you know, he makes a run that takes him into the, fifth channel or whatever we're calling it now and and Saka swaps with him like that works and yeah i don't think you're going to have the same ability to just know where players are going to be look so, sometimes the qualities you have on the pitch as an attacker determine how the defense has to play and and the ch- kind of challenge defenders face and the thing with Lacazette is when he went when he came short the defenders did not have to go with him but if they did they didn't have to worry that he was going to turn them around and, and beat them in behind. I don't think, you know, it's not Lacazette's fault, Just but I don't he think was. he create. He, he didn't put them to a decision, right? And I think yeah. Gabriel Jesus is the kind of player that puts you to a decision. Am I going to follow this run? If I leave this run, am I going to get burned? You know, if I get too close, am I going to get turned? Am I going to find myself in a foot race? Like, you you need to be able to, to challenge defenders. And we saw that a little with Enkedia doing it as well. Let, let's pivot just a little bit, Clive, to what we actually expect this season, a little bit of pr- prediction time, right? Just in terms of raw output. I'm going to give you an over-under 
for goals and then an over-under for assists. Okay. You tell me whether you expect him to go over or under, okay, so you don't have to pick a number. And then maybe a little bit on, you know, what what success looks like to you if I've hit the number right. I'm going to say 14 non-penalty goals in the Premier League. Let, let's, let's do it this way. 14.5 non-penalty goals in the Premier League. You're a clever dude, you are. Uh, <laughs> um, I would say, you know what? It's around that mark for me. You know, I, I yeah, it's around <laughs> that mark. Under, I'm going to go just works. over. I'm going to go just over for me. F- yeah, that would be fantastic. 15 Premier League goals would be absolutely fantastic. You know, and I think the key is how, how they come and where they come, the games they come, you know. So, um, but yeah, 15 Premier League goals would be fantastic. And it's, I, I think it just shows level of leadership and a level of I accept that responsibility. So that works for me. I don't think whatever we do, we're not a team that's going to have that single guy scoring 25 goals anymore. I think it's going to be a collective. So if Sackler can score 10 to 12 again, that'd be great. If we can get Martinelli up to sort of eight, that'll be great. But I do expect one, I think Smith Rowe probably over exceed a little bit on his goals, you know, given, given the minutes that he had. I think Odegaard could do a little bit more on his shooting. I think he needs to shoot a bit more. Vieira is an unknown to all of us. That's going to be such an interesting journey to watch. But there's one more we need, right? You know where my head is. We need one more. And he thinks like a forward. And you could easily say, in, in Saka, you could say that he's our, he's our best player. He could be an attacking midfielder playing wide right. You know, his desire to score is there. But when you see Jesus and when you see Rafinha, you see a different desire, the desire of somebody that's grown up as a forward. Do you know what I mean? And they, they measure themselves on those forward-type activities, right? So so I'm interested in seeing more forward threat, you know, and people that think like forwards want to be measured like forwards. I want to go out there and make other people think. He said earlier, Ellie, he said, I'm not sure if Jesus is going to make us beat Liverpool or City, well, I tell you what, they're going to res- they're going to respect him as a player more than they did our previous centre forwards, and that's the truth. The last time they got respect was when Bamyang was flying down the left, and he did very well. But you know, I watched those games this year, and they did not respect our centre forwards in those games. I watched them, so that will change hopefully. Yeah, yeah, and and the it's 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 interesting because I I look at it this way: he is over his career a one-in-two goal scorer. That's what he is over his career. If he starts 30 games for us in the Premier League, he'll hit 15 goals. I believe that. I mean, that's just who he's been more or less for his whole career. He is a one-in-four, a sister over his career. Not someone's sister, a sister, man who provides assists, <laughs> which means if he starts, you know, 30 games, he should have between seven and eight assists. And if he finishes with 15 goals and seven or eight assists, that's a hell of a good season. Do I think that's his ceiling? I do not think that's his ceiling. I think that's his baseline. That is literally his average. He has had seasons where he is a 1.0 non-penalty XG plus XA guy, meaning if he starts 30 games and hits his XG plus XA, he would have 30 goal involvements. So 20 goals and 10 assists. Now I realize that is the sunniest view, but that's how you arrive at a ceiling. You say his his data tells me he can hit one goal contribution per game. 20 goals, 10 assists. We're in the top four. 
No doubt, no question. We're not scoring 56, 60, 65 goals a season if our center forward has 20 goals and 10 assists. We're doing a hell of a lot more than that because that's yeah. 30 goals right there, okay, yeah. from one guy, 30 goal involvements. I'll, I'll hit his assist total at 7.5. Give me an over-under. Oh, I'd say, again, just over. You know, again, I think he's going to have a big role in assists. I think our, our young players are going to get... <laughs> I need to say that our young players are going to get older. <laughs> but they're going to mature football-wise and going to improve and you develop. Know what? You, you see the game and you see football in a way that I don't see it, but I find <laughs> myself can't. able to see what you're driving <laughs> yeah. out there. And they're going to develop. <laughs> and they're going to feel more confident. And they're going to push themselves and have greater targets. So I see that. I see that going up. I, I definitely do. Um, you know, I, I, I just, um, this feels like a, sometimes you you start a new job and you redevelop, you have your, your prime working years. Do you know what I mean? There's always that company that you work for, that's my prime years. I'm ready for this change. I'm ready for this role. It, and I just think he's ready for an expanded role. He's ready to show people what he's got. He's also, within those Man City numbers, oh, yes, they're a great team. We all know what they can do. But he doesn't play every single week, so there's a little bit of rhythm that's lacking. Do you know what I mean? So we judge him over a season, but imagine if he has a rhythm. He has a consistent role and a rhythm. I'm not saying he can play 38 games, but he's going to play a number of games. He got some rhythm towards the end of the season with Man City. He plays in all their big games. When the stuff's about to hit the fan, mate, against City, sorry, against Liverpool and Chelsea. He plays. Against Real Madrid, PSG. He plays. Look at the comps. Look at the teams he's doing it against. You know, mm-hmm. this ain't this ain't the Carling Cup. You know what I mean? This ain't that this is this is serious stuff he's doing this against. Serious teams with serious defenders. Yep. And he's executing. And I, I think that's a real big thing. And I'm reading some stuff online this weekend. One of the tweets that just came out to me saying that, you know, Jesus, a lot of City fans They'd rather see Marius go than Jesus go because Marius is getting on a little bit. So they wish him all the best. They know he's got to he's got to define his career, you know. But they also, you know, people are saying that he'll get into almost any team in the league, apart from maybe the City team, and and you know potentially Liverpool team, and that's it. Chelsea would have him, Spurs would have him, Man United would have him. He gets in any team in the league, and so that's a good thing. We we don't buy players like that very often, you know. So yeah, this is a good. Good news story, right? So I can't wait to see it. I can't and, see. And he just turned 25. Just turned 25. But the identity that he brings, the attacking identity, you know, it's it, it tells me it's a serious, serious on and off the ball identity. We're here to play with physicality, intensity, carrying ability, and banging shots. That's what I want. When it gets into the last five, I want people to care about it, not yeah. subcontract it. I, I'm- it's easy to lose sight. Like he's one year older than Eddie and Kedia. That's it. And we're going to have him, if he stays for his whole contract, we'll have him in his 25, 26, 27, 28, and 29 year old seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't ask for more than that. You've been a great player in your early 20s. Now go be a star in your mid to late 20s in your prime. You, you're being given the role you want in a team that's going to grow with you into you at the perfect time. Yeah. And, and I would just say this about value. We are buying a Premier League proven player entering his prime who has played for our manager and a manager who plays a system like him who has been Brazil's center forward at 23 years of age, you know, whatever it was when he started at number nine for Brazil for, you know, whatever you want to believe it is, 45 million, 50 million, 
in in that range. In a summer where you've got 80 million to 100 million pounds being spent on center forwards, some of whom are brilliant and some of whom still have a lot to prove. Like if you said to me that Gabriel Jesus winds up having a better season than Darwin Nunez, I'm not saying I expect that because Liverpool are such a good team, but it would not shock me. It would not shock me. And so I think we have we have acquired a really good player. But what we've done, Clive, and this is, this is the whole thing, the whole ball of wax for me, why I love this move. He has a ceiling that, for me, could be one of the top three or four players in the league. That's his ceiling. I think he can get to that level. But we've really protected the floor because he's not going to be bad. There's no there's no world where I can see a guy who is a one-in-two goal scorer over his career, who's played in the league, played for our manager, played for Pep, is a Brazil full international. There's no world where I can see him failing in the way like a, a Nicola Pepe has failed, right? He's going to fit our system because the manager knows him. He's going to have the right mindset and mentality. The manager knows that. He's He knows the league. He's going to have no trouble adapting. His ceiling is one of the best few players in the league. But if he just hits his sort of mean capabilities, that's still really good. So we've managed, at a reasonable price in my view, to acquire a guy who might be a superstar, but who we can rely on being very good. And that's a really savvy purchase. And while I think Holland is probably a star and Nunez might be a star, there is some... I mean. I don't know about whether there's a question with Holland, but with Nunez in my mind, there is definitely still some stuff to prove, and he may well prove it. I think we've done a really nice job of having a very, very high floor on this player with a stratospheric ceiling, and you can't ask for much more than that in my view. Beautifully said. I totally agree. I think, for me, you know, people always say I care about perception too much, but what I will say is when people like him are coming to the club, Yes, we have relationships. Yes, we've used those relationships. But I think it's a positive sign. All the people that we wanted to sign, Touchwood, Saka, Follows, have stayed, have signed, re-signed. It's starting to look like people are starting to believe, right, within the game. That this is, um, to quote a line from The Matrix, right? <laughs> he's starting to believe, right? And uh, so basically... to believe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think... Um, and that's a good thing, right? Because you know, you know, football's a village, right? People chat. They think, oh, what Arsenal are doing is rubbish. I'm not going there. But Manchester United are struggling right now to get someone over the line. Because they, they, we all know why, right? So so yep. it's it's that gives me encouragement, Elliot, for the because we know this is not it. You know, come mate, you've got you're looking back to, to that left eight position, you are. You're looking at Mm-hmm. Fullback positions as in secondary fullback positions, maybe not so much to right back with Sleeper here now, but potentially at left back the way we want to play. If we're going to have a an inverted left back, we need something else, right? So, and we and let's be honest, I know we've had the discussion before. You know, I'm a big believer in another wide man coming, but I'm not going to say that you're talking rubbish when it comes to number eight being fixed because. We, we need, it needs to be fixed, right? So maybe it's so, Vieira's job. Maybe it's Vieira. I don't know. Maybe it is, but we we can develop it, or we need to go and purchase it. But let's find out, right? So, so we all know what's to be done. People listen and listen to us; they know what the next steps are. So, um, but I'm hugely encouraged by this step. Hugely encouraged. I'm just going to say, Gabriel Martinelli, Gabriel Magalhaes. Gabriel Jesus, there's a lot of confusion possibilities there for defenders on set pieces. I've made that joke before. But then Fabio Vieira, 
um, potentially Hafinha. I'm not saying we should drop Saka. That's not my point. But I'm saying he better learn Portuguese. I'm just saying <laughs> he, he better, better learn some Portuguese because there's going to be a lot of Portuguese flying around that pitch, my friend. Yeah, so and Saka, that's going to be a beautiful thing to watch. If Saka mm-hmm. and Sleeper sign their contracts. I mean, trust me. Mm-hmm. They got to get right in there. They got to get Rosetta Stone or you know whatever whatever they use to learn Portuguese, man. That's going to be the prerequisite. Look, we have done forty seven podcasts on Gabriel Jesus now, and not one on poor Matty Turner, who has officially been announced. Um, but you know my refrigerator thing. The the second refrigerator doesn't get a podcast. That's how it works. I'm kidding. Uh, welcome to Arsenal, Matt Turner. We'll probably get a, a guest on who can speak to that a little more because I'm gonna not going to pretend for a second, Clive, that I got anything to say about Matt Turner that's going to be uh, accurate or relevant. Fair enough. I, I look at him. Stunning athlete. That's what I will say. So yeah. something to work Take with. It. Stunning athlete. So we'll see what happens. I'm all right with with one American being being uh, in the Arsenal team. You know, just a little little something something for for our American friends there. Bring some American fans into the fold. Um, God knows when Clint Dempsey was was there, we we had to live with Spurs fans over here. So it'd be good to get rid of that. Let's leave it there. Another podcast on Gabriel Jesus coming tomorrow, and then the next day, and then the next day. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal's hand transfer window now. 